Lasting Love Podcast, presented by CoachingWithFroy.com. You've found the place where single adults come for mindful wisdom and insight into how to attract and create healthy, lasting, conscious relationships. And now, here's your host, the owner of CoachingWithFroy.com, number one best-selling author, certified relationship coach, and TV analyst, Roy Biancalana. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Attracting Lasting Love Podcast. Today, we are going to do something I hope is really exciting for you and very life-changing for you. We're going to start to dive more deeply into each of the nine Enneagram personality types. Now, if you don't know what that means, that probably means you didn't listen to the last podcast, podcast number 66, which was the fifth part of a series called Quantum Questions for Life and Love. The fifth part, the last part of that series was dealing with a quantum question that I described as how is your personality type or how is your Enneagram personality type sabotaging your life and your love life? That is a quantum question. Because it is. <laughs> Whether you know it or not, your personality type, your ego, is what's getting in the way of you experiencing real contentment and happiness just in general in your life. And it is what's in the way of you connecting deeply with another human being in intimacy. Okay? So I don't want to cover a lot of the ground I laid in podcast number 66, I laid a foundation of explanation and trying to get you excited about the Enneagram and show its importance. Um, so go back and listen to that one. Even stop this tape right now if you have not heard it and, and go back and kind of get up to speed. Otherwise, a lot of what I'm going to say here might not make any sense to you and I don't want you to be lost and, you know, and have that experience. Now, one thing that I... I didn't mention in the first one that I should to set a little bit more context is I should briefly talk about what is the personality in general? Like what is ego? Where does it come from? Um, and so let me just say this, the, the word personality comes from a root, I believe it's Latin or Greek word. And that word is persona. Okay? Personality comes from the word persona. Person comes from the word persona. Okay? And persona back in you know ancient, I guess it was Greece or Latin, was the name that they used for like a person who is acting in a play wearing a mask. In other words, the person was wearing a mask on stage in a play because they were playing a role. Right? They weren't themselves. They were playing a role. They were acting a part and they had a mask on so that they could be in persona. They could play that role. Well, that's really what our personalities are. They are a type of mask. They are a type of role that we play. And the role that the personality takes, its purpose is basically to help us feel safe, 
to help us satisfy our needs or to help us succeed at something. That's what your ego is all about. The ego wants to feel safe. It wants to protect you. It, it, it wants to protect itself. So the ego, the personality, is all about safety and security. It's, it's also about the way, it's the manner in which you go about getting your needs met, satisfying your needs. It's kind of your strategy, your way of being in the world that you believe will get your needs met, your needs for attention, your needs for affection, your needs for love, your need for approval, that sort of thing. And the ego is also sort of your way that you think you need to be to be successful, perhaps successful at some endeavor or successful in relationship or successful in whatever whatever any way we could think of it, right? So that's why spiritual teachers talk about the personality of the ego sort of in negative terms because it's a defense mechanism. It's a coping mechanism. It's sort of the mask or the role that we play in response to a deep underlying fear, the fear of being separate or the fear of failure or the fear of being wrong or the fear of being vulnerable, the fear of death, the fear of being incompetent, the fear of being unlovable, right? We have these underlying fears and in response to them, we create a persona, a personality that's going to help us sort of overcome that or not experience the reality of that fear. And so we put on a mask, we put on a persona, we we adopt and we, we kind of develop a personality that is our way of navigating through life, helping us be secure, satisfy a need, become successful. Now, all the Enneagram is, is a very brilliant and, and there's all kinds of history behind the Enneagram, where it came from. I'm not going to bug you and bother you with all that. You can research that if you want to. But what the Enneagram is, is a map of all the basic personality types. There's nine basic ways, nine basic masks, you could say, nine faces of the ego. And the Enneagram is just simply mapping them and giving them names and sort of describing them and helping us become aware that we're wearing a mask. Now, this is important because, you know, sometimes in the theater, if a person's on Broadway playing a role in a play, you know, for for years and years and years and maybe decades, they can play the role so long that they sort of lose track of who they are. <laughs> they they almost kind of forget that I'm not the role I'm playing. You know, I'm the person behind the mask. And so you can play a role so long that you become identified with it. You actually think you are one of the characters in Death of a Salesman or Guys and Dolls or 
Hamilton or Cats or so. I don't know. I'm trying to think up. I, I'm not a person who goes to the theater. <laughs> so <laughs> forgive me if I listed off things that aren't right or I made a big mistake there. You can tell me if I did. <laughs> but, you know, you could play a role in a play for so long that you sort of lose track of you and, and you feel like I am that person. Well, that's kind of what happens with the personality. It's not who you are. It's who you think you have to be in order to feel secure or to satisfy a need or be successful. And you can wear this mask for so long and you put it on by the time you were two or three, okay? Your, your, your Enneagram type, your personality is basically fully formed by the time you're five or six years old. You don't even know you're doing it. Now, as we mentioned in the last episode of the podcast, you are born with a personality type. It's sort of innate. And then it begins to develop and show itself uh, in your early childhood. And it's fully formed by the time you're five or six. But it really is a role that you're playing because you think this is who I need to be and what I need to do and the way I need to see the world and you know the way I need to show up in the world in order to just feel safe or to satisfy my needs or to be successful. But it's not who you are. It's a shell, right? The, the pearl is on the inside of the shell. The, the shell isn't the pearl. It's to, the shell protects the pearl, you could say, right? So the personality is kind of protecting essence in a way, or it's compensating for it. And so that's why spiritual teachers talk negatively about personality or about ego because it's not real. It's a defense mechanism. It's all based on fear. It's a mask. It's not really who you are. And so a lot of what spirituality is, is finding the authentic self. And the way you find the authentic self is first you have to know what mask you're wearing (laughs) because you think you are the mask. That's the point I'm trying to make. If you are the peacemaker, which is type nine, or the challenger, which is type eight, or the reformer, which is type one, which we're going to cover in this episode, you actually think that's who you are because you've been playing that role and it's really worked for you for so long that you've lost track of your true nature, your authentic self. And you just think that you're the challenger or the peacemaker or the reformer. Well, that's just who I am. No, it really isn't. It's a mask. So all of spiritual development is to take the mask off and get more deeply connected to your authentic self. Now, with the Enneagram, it's your personality. So you never, you never get rid of it. Like you never really can take the mask off completely. But you can see that you're wearing one and you can see it's just a role I'm playing and therefore you can transcend your personality's habits, how it reacts to certain things, um, how it causes drama in your life, how it sabotages your love life. Okay, So I hope that was clear. The Enneagram can be so complex, I hope I didn't make it more confusing for you. All I'm basically saying is your Enneagram type is not who you are, although you think it is. Who you are is sort of under it. And so the way you get to your authentic self is we we really get to know 
the personality structure because the more you know it, the more you can begin to ignore its motivations, ignore its reactivity, ignore its its worldview and its beliefs. Do you follow me? It's just a persona covering up essence. And we're looking to connect more, more deeply with our kind of innate divinity, you could say, our, 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 our essential nature, rather than be wrapped up and caught in the trance of our personality type, where we're wearing this mask and we don't even know it. It's like we've been playing this role for so long that it's, it's, it's who we think we are. Okay? So with that little caveat, what I want to do, my purpose here, I'm going to describe three types today and then three of the next podcast and three after that, is I, I want to describe it so that you can tell, is this your type or not? And maybe you'll be even to tell if there's someone very close to you, if that's their type or not. So you can be listening with two ears. Is this me? Or is perhaps this describing someone who's close to me? Because it becomes really handy if you understand other people's personality types. It makes compassion and acceptance and communication so much better. Okay? So that's the first thing is I, I, I want to describe the type enough to where you get an idea. Okay, maybe this is my type. Um, and then I want to spend the most of the time with each type talking about how it can screw up your love life. Right? This is the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. And I am maintaining that the reason why your love life is not the way it is because your personality type is sabotaging you. It's getting in the way. You have a blind spot. You have relationship sabotaging behaviors. You have a persona, a way of being that really will not help you create authentic, healthy relationships. So that's my twofold purpose. Help you, is this my type? And if so, I want you to see how it's messing you up. And then I'll also offer a couple of things that this is what you need to work on if this is your type. Okay? Now, I'm going to tell you right now that all of this description is going to be leaving you wanting more. And there's a reason for that. One, I would love to work with you. So I'm, I'm sort of giving you information to make you hungry for more, to go deeper with me. So I make no bones about that. I, I would love to work one-on-one -on -one with you because it is the environment where we can go the deepest and you can get the most aha moments, okay? So that's just important that you know my agenda with that. But also, if I try to answer every question and go into all the depths and all the things that I would do with you as an individual client, we'd have to do 20 podcasts on this topic, right? And I'm going to lose all of my audience if I talk about the same things over and over and over and over again from now, you know, through the next 20 podcasts. So that's what I'm doing here. What's your type? How is it sort of getting in the way? What do you need to work on? What would be your next step? Okay? All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to take types 8, 9, and 1. And again, the numbers don't mean anything. They're just reference points. That, that doesn't mean something's good or bad or better or worse. They're just numbers so we can talk about these things easier. And I'm going to start 
with the number nine. Okay? Now, maybe I haven't mentioned this. There is, an, there is a diagram of the Enneagram. It's like a circle. And there are, if you can imagine, nine is at the top of the circle, and then it goes, what, clockwise, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Okay? So around the top of the circle, if you can picture this, is the eight, the nine, and the one. They're kind of on the top. On the right-hand side toward the bottom is the two, three, and four. And then on the left-hand side toward the bottom is the five, six, seven. Okay, so you can picture that circle. So we're going to start at the top with the middle type of the type nine because all the types that we're going to talk about today are what are called anger types. Okay, that's the feeling or the experience underneath all three of these types. The eight, the nine, and the one are all anger types, but they have a different relationship to anger for different reasons, and we're going to come back to that in a minute, okay? But the first thing, and my goal here, we're about at around 17, 17 and a half minutes in this podcast right now. I don't want to spend any more than 10 minutes on each one of these, okay? So that's my goal. We'll see if we can do it, okay? So let's talk about the type nine, which is called the peacemaker. And the names of these types in some way can give you all the information you need. Peacemaker, this type wants to make peace, wants to be comfortable, wants to not have conflict, wants to keep connection and not be separate. Let's make peace, right? So The name really says a lot about it. But here are some other words that describe the peacemaker. They're easygoing, unassuming, self-forgetting. We're going to come back to that one. Agreeable and sometimes complacent. Okay? So let me give you a first-person description. I'll talk as, as if I am a nine. Okay? See if you resonate with this. See if I'm, if I'm describing you, if like you would say these things about yourself. I prefer to give others the limelight and stay in the background, not calling personal attention to myself. I rarely assert myself and instead try to keep things harmonious and pleasant. I have difficulty doing or saying anything that others might find offensive or uncomfortable or even controversial. I have a hard time knowing what is really important to me, though I seem to know what's important to others. And I avoid conflict by going along with what others want. I'm easygoing and agreeable, which I like. And yet I tend to lose or forget myself and merge into the lives of others. It takes a lot to get me to the point of showing my anger directly at someone. I seem to be able to see all points of view pretty easily, which on the one hand makes me an excellent mediator, but on the other hand, I have trouble taking action, choosing, or being decisive because I can see all sides. It's difficult for me to figure out and attend to what is really essential for me personally, but when I do, I can be pretty stubborn. It's not unusual for me to become distracted and diverted to unimportant, trivial tasks. 
All in all, I simply want to be comfortable, harmonious, and for people to accept me. Okay? Would you describe yourself like that? Does that somewhat nail you? Okay? Now, as I mentioned in the previous podcast, if there's one or two things I said in there that don't really resonate, that doesn't mean you're not a nine. It either means that maybe one or two of those things are not true of you, but that you could still be a nine, or you just might not notice this. You know, (laughs) one of the difficult things about your personality type is you've been this your whole life. And so you're so used to it that you sometimes don't notice it. It's like your eyeball can't see itself. Sometimes you don't see your own type nineness. And so if something didn't resonate with you, well, there's a chance that that description doesn't fit you, but there's also a chance you just don't see it, but it's there. Okay. Now let's go a little bit deeper here. Driving your personality. If you're a nine is the worldview. Okay. The worldview that in order to gain love and approval, you need to go along with others, blend in. And keep the peace. That's your worldview. That's how it looks to you. You seek to maintain an inner sense of calm and connection to others by not rocking the boat. As a type nine, your underlying motivation is to create comfort, peace, and harmony for yourself and others. You avoid conflict and You seek to smooth things over when conflict arises. You don't like to make waves, so you are accommodating. You don't speak up for yourself, and you often lose track of your own agenda. Okay? So because of this underlying belief, your focus of attention is on other people and their agendas, their needs, their requests, and anything in your environment that demands attention. Your habitual Patterns of thinking include overthinking, being scattered, or foggy, and looking for ways to keep the peace and make yourself or others feel more comfortable. Your blind spots are your own needs, your own priorities, your own agenda, and your own point of view, and your own importance or contribution. Hmm. Okay. Is that helping you? Now, here's if you're a nine, here is where it starts to mess up your love life. You avoid conflict like the plague. And here's where your relationship to anger comes in. Being a nine is an anger type. <laughs> but it's kind of weird in that your relationship to anger is you kind of don't want it to exist. You don't want to feel it. You don't want to express it. You don't want to hear it from anybody else. You have this total avoidance of anger. That's your relation. That's why you're an anger type. You're disowning it. You're not wanting to feel it. You don't want to express it. You don't want to hear from anybody, right? You just want to be calm. You want to be peaceful. You want everyone to get along, right? So you sabotage yourself in relationship because when you avoid conflict, like the plague, um, it's going to backfire on you because sometimes you need to confront things. Sometimes you need to set a boundary. Sometimes you need to say no. 
Sometimes you need to put your needs forward. You need to express what you want, who you are, and not just go along to get along. You see, if you just go along to get along and you swallow yourself, you become like a wallflower. Oh, you know, I don't matter. I don't want to be a bother. I don't want to rock the boat. Well, then you get overlooked. You get people that sort of lose track of you. They don't treat you as if you're important, but it's not because they don't think you're important. You don't think you're important. I mean, you don't put yourself in the middle of the room enough. Remember, the first way I described the type is I prefer to give others the limelight and stay in the background. Well, when you do that, then people overlook you or they dismiss you or they don't take your needs seriously because you don't express them. So one of the nicknames I have for type nines is they're flatliners. <laughs> like, you know how the you're in the medical uh, dramas on TV, you know, when a person dies, there's a beep, right? There's no heartbeat. There's There's no up and down on the um, the heart rate monitor. It's just a flat line. That's how nines can be. They're so even keel. They're so calm that you can't feel them. It's, it's like they're not there. And so you end up, you know, avoiding conflict, dealing with things that are bothering you, and you just end up in relationships where you get taken advantage of or no one notices you. And nines have a tendency because... They don't value themselves and and they kind of forget themselves. They have a tendency to attract narcissists. Now, why is that? Well, a narcissist needs someone to agree with them that everything is about them, right? A narcissist is this overly self-absorbed person, overly selfish. Well, two narcissists can't be in the same relationship. They beat the hell out of each other. You know, no, it's about me. No, it's about me. No, it's about me. A narcissist needs someone, when they say it's about me, they need someone to say, yes, it is about you. I don't matter. My needs, my priorities, my thoughts, my feelings, I'll just go along to get along. I'll be easygoing. I'll be agreeable. I'll be complacent. That person attracts narcissistic people. So that's some of the ways that you sabotage your love life. You don't have any boundaries. You can't say no. Anger can be very useful to create healthier connections when you're being taken advantage of, when someone, you know, is taking, you know, someone is um, overriding you and running you over and not taking you into account. But it's not that they're not taking you into account. It's that you aren't putting yourself in the room enough for someone to bump into you and say, oh, here you are. Oh, I hear what you need. I hear what you want. I, I hear what you think. Now I have to deal with you. Nines are, are, are they, they shrink away so much that they're, they've sort of become unnoticeable, right? So part of the work of the type nine is what's called in psychology individuation, where you need to find yourself because you have a tendency to lose yourself, to forget yourself. You need to find your feelings, find your anger, find your value and put it forth, bring it forward. That's not easy to do because you fear, the underlying fear of the type nine is that if I do that, nobody will want to be around me. 
The type nine's fear is loss of connection. They so are so afraid of losing connection, they make peace to stay connected. But as you make peace to stay connected, you're, you don't really have a very good connection. So the nine has to learn that if I speak up and share my feelings and if I express anger and set boundaries, it will actually create better connections. It won't lead to being disconnected and to people walking away from you. So that's the type nine, right? They, they need to, they, they avoid conflict and um, they're sort of a, they're sort of seeking or addicted to being comfortable. I don't want to do anything uncomfortable. I don't want to have uncomfortable conversations. I don't want to have, I don't want to feel uncomfortable feelings. I don't want to say anything that make anyone else feel uncomfortable. And when you do that, can you see how you'd mess up your love life and your life in general? Right? So that's the type nine. And they're relate. You get the relationship to anger. They don't want it. They don't want to feel it, experience it. Nope, nope. Get rid of it. <laughs> okay? Now we go to the type eight. They're called the challenger, and they have a much more kind of outward relationship to anger. They, they don't mind a fight. They sort of enjoy it. Eights have no problem with anger. They have no problem with someone expressing anger at them. They have no problem expressing their own anger. They like a good fight. They're not afraid of conflict, but they're overly identified with the anger, right? It dominates too much of their life. So the nine just disowns it completely. The nine is, is overindulgent in the anger. And you can see how that would sabotage a person's love life, right? When you show up all anger and power and control, you can begin to understand how that would sabotage the eight's life. So what what is the eight? The eight is called the challenger, right? It's called the challenger. Now, that word is very descriptive. Eights love to challenge. Challenge themselves, challenge the status quo, challenge other people to be better, challenge other people on their truth or their opinions, challenge people to power struggle, right? To fight over power. So um, some aspects of being a challenger can be very helpful. Challenging status quo can be a beautiful thing. Challenging injustice can be a beautiful thing. So that's, that's why we talk about the Enneagram and we say, even though we talk about the ways it will sabotage us and ruin our lives and our love lives, that doesn't mean the personality type is all bad. You know, the peacemaker, they make great mediators. They, they, they're great at bringing warring parties together and finding common ground and creating harmony. That's a beautiful thing to do as long as they're also able to confront things that they need to confront and express their anger and value themselves, right? Well, the eight's that way too. Being a challenger can be a beautiful thing, but it can really sabotage you. So here are some more words to describe the challenger, type eight. Powerful, dominating, self-confident, 
decisive, willful, confrontational. Is that you? So here's the first person description. Here's how you might describe yourself if you're an eight. I approach things in an all or nothing way, especially issues that matter to me. I place a lot of value on being strong, certain, and no nonsense. What you see is what you get. I'm a straight shooter speaking my truth plainly and bluntly, regardless of the impact on others or the consequences for myself. I'm earthy and passionate, sometimes even crude, and I have a lust for life, seeming to devour as much of it as I can. I don't trust others until they have proven themselves to be reliable, and I have a hard time tolerating weakness in people. I also have a hard time following orders or directions if I do not respect or agree with the person in authority. Frankly, I prefer to be in charge and running the show, and I usually am. I find it difficult not to display my feelings when I'm angry, and I'm on the lookout for a challenge and a fight, something to pit myself against. I may not win every battle, but you're sure as hell going to know I've been there. I'm always ready to stick up for friends or loved ones, especially if I think they are being treated unjustly. Okay? Does that describe you? Okay? Now, I want to give you, if I can, a popular real-life person who I believe is each type. Now, it's difficult with the type 9. The person that comes to mind, you have to know golf a little bit. Dustin Johnson is one of the best golfers in the world. I think is a type nine. My wife is a type nine, but you don't know her. Um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, but I don't come up with something. If I do, maybe I'll mention it later on in these podcasts. But for the eight, there's an obvious one. And I sort of, I sort of wonder if I should bring it up because you're going to have a reaction one way or the other. Um, and, I, and I don't want you to have a negative view of eights. Eights are beautiful. That last sentence there, you know, I am always ready to stick up for my friends and loved ones, especially if I think they're being tr- treated unjustly. Eights are crusaders for justice. They're like mama bear, right? Don't fuck with my cubs. They're very protective uh, of the people that they love. But Donald Trump is the quintessential type eight, right? He loves a fight. (laughs) He'll create a fight. He's crude, right? He's sort of earthy. He's sort of going to say it like he feels it, right? And he has no problem being angry, expressing anger. Look how he used to pick a fight with the press corps all the time, right? So I hesitate saying that because... You might say, I don't want to be an eight if he is, (laughs) okay? Um, But as we said in the first podcast that that laid the foundation here, there's a spectrum of our psychological health with all of our types. With my type, the type three, you can be very unhealthy. The type three is the achiever. We'll get to that, okay? 
But when it's very unhealthy, the threes are the most narcissistic of all the types. I've got a huge narcissist in me, okay? But when threes are growing and evolving, they are really other-centered. They want to be coaches. They want to inspire others to greatness, right? They become less self-absorbed in my success and my achievements and my image, right? That's the unhealthy side. But when a three is evolving, they're less self-absorbed and they're more interested in the success of others, of a team, of a company, of a country, of a family, of a tribe, right? They're, they're much more in service of something greater than themselves. Well, it's the same way with the eight. When they're unhealthy, they're just dominating bullies. They're just into power. But when they're healthy, they want to use their their power for the greater good. They want to use their power to serve love. Okay? So don't view the eight as a negative even though I use Trump's name. Although some people listening to this might love Trump, which is fine. I don't don't care. Um, In that sense – you know, it won't be offensive to you, but I use him because he's such a graphic example of what I just read. If you rewind the tape and listen to me describe this, you're going to say, oh yeah, oh my God, that is totally Trump. Okay. Um, so it just helps you understand it better. Now, how does the challenger sabotage itself in relationship? Well, because it's so controlling. Because it, the, t- the type feels that they're right and they want to be in control and they want to be dominating and they want to be in charge. So they're like bulldozers. They're like the bull in the china shop, right? They, so you can see how difficult it might be to relate with someone who has to be right. You know, it's all about power. They're controlling and dominating, right? Can you see that? Um Right, So the type eights, they're sort of addicted to power and control. Um, But here's what they need to work on. Vulnerability and surrender. Right? See, the reason the eight became an eight, even though they were born with the type, was because at some point, most eights report that in some time in their life, they felt taken advantage of. They felt powerless. They felt weak. And they said, hell no, never again. I will never be taken advantage of. I will never be overpowered. I, will be, I won't ever be weak. I will never show my vulnerability. I will never show my tenderness. I will never show my weakness. I got to be in charge. I got to be powerful. I got to be big. I got to be strong, right? That's why we say these Enneagram types are defense mechanisms, right? The type nine is a peacemaker because underneath there's the fear of disconnection. So I want to, I want to make peace. So I stay connected. You follow it? So it's a, it's a coping mechanism. It's a defense mechanism. It's an opposite thing. The eight underneath in the eight is a little boy or little girl who feels vulnerable and weak. And so they have the shell, the persona, the mask of power and control. But it's hard to relate with eights when they will never show their vulnerability. They'll never put the let their guard down. 
They'll never let go of their power trip and, and surrender, right? And sort of relax and show tenderness and vulnerability, which really is there. It really is there <laughs> underneath that big, powerful, strong exterior of the eight. And by the way, eights are almost always CEOs of something. They end up in control, in power. Most CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, I'm guessing 80% of them are probably type eights. Okay? So the eight sabotages themselves because they're so one-dimensional with their power and their control and their dominating and so forth. And they can't show weakness and vulnerability. So this is especially challenging for female eights because they come off so dominating and so much in control that men feel like I got nothing to offer her. I mean, she wears the pants better than I do. Her balls are bigger than mine. So this eight woman really needs to show the little girl who's vulnerable inside to show that tenderness. Then a man can say, oh, now I feel you. I'm not just feeling the persona of how strong you are and how you don't need anything. I I, I feel some surrender in you. I, I feel softness and tenderness. Okay? So that's the eight. Okay? Now, let's flip over to the type one, which is the reformer or sometimes called the perfectionist. We don't use perfectionist as much because it sounds more pejorative. But the type one is a reformer. They are agents for change. They want to change themselves. They want to change you. They want to change the world. They look at themselves. They look at the world and they see what's wrong. (laughs) They see what needs to be fixed. Like a a type one can walk into a room and tell you everything that's wrong with this room. (laughs) The furniture needs to be this way. The lighting is not right. The sound isn't right. This, that... They just, they see mistakes. They see things that aren't right. Okay? And so, because of that, because they look at the world and they see the imperfection, they see the changes within themselves and they see what other people need to do better and they see what's wrong. Sometimes we call type ones like they're like walking around like a policeman, right? They, they're just ready to write a ticket to anyone who is not following the rules, not obeying the law, <laughs> okay? So eights are really good. I mean, I'm sorry, ones are really good at spotting where things are not right, where things are are wrong, where values are not being upheld, where things are sort of out of line. And so can you see that there would be a resentment in a type one? Because all they see are imperfections in themselves and everyone else. There's kind of a smoldering, under-the-surface anger with a type 1. Now, if you're a type 1, you might not be able to recognize it. And that's because anger isn't right. And 1s want to be right. They want to be good. Right? They want to be good people. They have high moral standards for themselves and for others. And anger is not good. So sometimes type ones don't recognize this resentment that's lying underneath the surface. So if the nine 
just disowns anger. I don't want to experience it. It doesn't exist in my world. I don't want anything to do with it. And the eight is overly identified with anger. Let's fight. The one is angry, but it's behind the scenes. It's in the background. It's kind of under the surface. And it's being denied. It's being suppressed. Because it's not good. And I have to keep up. I want to feel good about myself. Like I'm like I'm morally good. I'm a good person. And good people aren't angry. But when you're seeing flaws and mistakes, you can be really kind of annoyed at the world, annoyed at people. Type ones sort of report that they just feel frustrated with themselves and with the people around them because it's just everyone's doing it wrong. Okay? So here are some words that resonate for ones. Rational. Idealistic, purposeful, principled, self-controlled, and reforming. Right? The self-control. That's why they disown their anger. But when you're rational and you're idealistic and you're principled, you can see that, well, the world's not living up to the principles. (laughs) The world's the world is is making mistakes and the world's wrong in so many ways and you can have this frustration with it. So here's how you might describe yourself from a first-person perspective. Um, see if you would describe yourself this way. I have high internal standards for correctness and I expect myself to live up to those standards. I usually have a clean, bright, scrubbed quality about me as well as a sense of righteousness and piety. I try to do what is correct, just, and moral, while privately I feel flawed or not fundamentally right. It's easy for me to see what's wrong with things. It's like I have an antenna that can pick up imperfection or wrongness and to see how they could be improved. I may come across to some people as overly critical or demanding perfection, But it's hard for me to ignore or accept things that are not done the right way. I pride myself on the fact that if I'm responsible for doing something, you can be sure I'll do it right. I sometimes have feelings of resentment when people don't try to do things properly or when people act irresponsibly or unfairly, although I usually try not to show it to them openly. For me, it is is usually work before pleasure and I suppress my desires as necessary to get the work done. Okay? So that's the type one. Does that resonate for you? Now, where does the reformer, the one going through the world, noticing what's wrong and trying to make it right, how does a perfectionist sabotage themselves? (laughs) Well, who wants to live with Roger Ebert? You know what I mean? Remember Roger Ebert? It was years and years ago, but he was a big, famous movie critic. He would just sit there and watch movies and pick them apart. And what's wrong with this movie? The acting wasn't very good. The directing wasn't very good. Right? He's a movie critic. And so how would you feel about relating with someone who is a critic, always noticing what's wrong and what needs to be fixed and 
has this righteous attitude about, well, this is the right way to do it and that's the wrong way to do it and so forth, right? How fun are they to be around? But when you're a type one, you can be that way. You can be demanding or harsh, rules-oriented and critical and in a sense kind of controlling because you're going to try to change people to make them right. Do it right. Think the right way, do the right way, act the right way like I do. So there can be a kind of I'm better than you thing with the type ones. They just feel like they're just more righteous. Although underneath their fear is the fear of being flawed or fundamentally wrong, like something's wrong with them. That's why they try to be so good on the outside. Again, remember the dichotomy. The personality type is a defense mechanism. It's the shell, it's the, the face, the, the mask we wear to the world to cover the opposite thing underneath. So the one underneath does not feel right or good. They feel somewhat fundamentally flawed. And so therefore, their purpose is to look good, to be good, to do the right thing. And so therefore, they hide their anger because it's just not good. It's just not right. Okay. So is this you? Anybody ever told you that you're critical, demanding, that you're always right about things? Have you maybe pushed people away because you're kind of always trying to change people to do it the way you think it should be done? Okay. So the type one is sort of addicted to rules and they need to work on serenity and acceptance. Okay, if the nine had to work on, you know, individuating and taking and valuing themselves, and the eight has to work on vulnerability and surrender, then if you're a type one, you need to work on serenity and acceptance, accepting yourself as being imperfect. There was a book written by somebody, it's on my shelf here somewhere. Um, was called The Spirituality of Imperfection. My guess is the author of that book is a type one, but he or she has done their work. And so they see the beauty of imperfection. It doesn't mean you don't try to make change, but you do it from serenity, not anger and resentment, not criticism to control and, and being righteous, but sort of an acceptance of yourself of others and understanding that no one's perfect, that life isn't perfect. And there's just this relaxation that happens inside a type one when they, they want to make, they want to reform, right? They want to make themselves and life better. And maybe they want to reform a company or a culture, um, an organization, a school group, very often ones end up in leadership roles and they really are ones to, to bring about change. I think of the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, Martin Luther breaking away from the Catholic Church because he didn't think that the church was the Catholic Church was focusing on the right way to relate with God through Jesus. And so it was called the Protestant Reformation. I'm almost positive that Martin Luther was a type one. Gandhi is a type one. Remember his famous phrase, be the change that you want to see in the world? 
He's all about change. But Gandhi's an enlightened being. He was doing change, not from anger and righteousness and criticalness and demandingness, but from recognizing that life as it is is perfect. And yet you can work with life as it is and bring about change from a serenity, from an acceptance. You can stand for something um, and and encourage change, encourage better ways of living for organizations, better ways of being for people, right? From a Gandhi peaceful place, rather than a finger pointing thing that you're doing it wrong, and I'm going to tell you how to do it right. God damn it! Right? <laughs> Follow me, okay? So that's the one. And I don't know if I came close to about ten minutes with each one. I think I was close. I mean, I'm going to pat myself on the back. <laughs> Okay. So, okay. So those are the anger types. The nine is just repressing it. I don't want any anger at all. The eight is overly identified with it. The one is sort of, it's there, but they, they're trying to act as if it's not. Okay. But they really are angry. It's just kind of an internal sort of under the surface part where the eight, it's right there on the surface and the nine just, there is no anger. I never feel anger. I don't want to experience it. Don't even talk about it with me. (laughs) Okay? So are those one of your types? Now, if so, like if you're an eight, man, the work of vulnerability and surrender, we need to talk about that. That scare the shit out of you if you're an eight for good reason. Because you can identify times in your life where you were overpowered and dominated and took an advantage of, and it scares you to let go of control, to not relate from a place of power and domination. That scare the hell out of you. And in fact, you wouldn't even know what that would look like. If you're an eight, you wouldn't even know what it would look like to be vulnerable in a relationship, to surrender. Okay. But if you don't, you're going to push people away with your power trip stuff and your controlling nature and your bulliness. Okay? If you're a nine, you need to work on finding yourself, valuing yourself, taking yourself seriously, finding the courage to take your feelings seriously and speak up for them and confront issues that need to be confronted and set boundaries where they need to be set, that's going to scare the crap out of you. Because you're like, if I do that, no one's going to love me. Because that's your underlying belief. Your fear is, is I'm going to be disconnected. I'm going to be alone. And so I don't want to be alone, so I'm going to go along to get along. At least I'll stay connected. But then you feel all these weird feelings in relationship. You don't have good relationships when you're going along to get along when you're merging with everybody else's agenda and swallowing your own, that's not a healthy connection. But it's scary as hell to take the risk to step into the room to say, here I am. I matter. Here's what I want. Here's my feelings. Here's what I need. I'm angry about this. Take me seriously. Fuck. Right? That's scary because you think everyone's going to walk away from you. They won't. Or if they do, you don't want them around you anyway. 
Nines normally report that when they do that, everyone says, oh my God, welcome to the party. You've been so annoying to relate with because you just don't show up. And it's just like, ew, thank you for pushing back. Thank you for giving me something to work with, with your needs and your wants and your your feelings. I love it when my wife steps forward. Like I often joke with her, like when she gets mad, I'm like, oh my God, that's so sexy. It's just because she's being real. I know that she feels anger about things at times. So she's just being real. She's being a human. But when she's just making herself comfortable, making peace, ignoring things. Oh, it's not a big deal. Oh, I'll forget about it. Oh, it doesn't really matter. I don't matter. Ooh, that's yucky to me. You follow me? And the one, it's going to be terrifying for you to accept yourself and your imperfections. Because you think if I if I don't stay on this, if I'm not critical, if I'm not demanding perfection, it's all going to go to shit around me. I'm going to fall apart. My kids will fall apart. My relationship will just devolve into something like I've got to stay on this edge and point the finger and keep people in line. Otherwise, the whole thing is going to go to shit. So it scares you to open up to serenity, to let go, to accept life as it is and to relax. So you might need some coaching is what I'm saying to embody these things. It's one thing to begin to understand it. it try it. It's, it's, it's like, it's one thing to understand golf. It's another thing to do it. <laughs> okay. It's hard. It's one thing to understand your type. It's another thing to begin to transcend these patterns it's hard to transcend your controllingness as an eight. It's hard to transcend your unwillingness to speak up as a nine. It's hard to transcend your critical nature as a one. But if you don't, you're headed for drama and difficulty in your love life. All right. So when we come back next time, we're going to look at the shame types. The two, three, and four, they all have a sense that I'm not good enough, that that I'm sort of unlovable or not valuable or something like that. There's, there's a message of something's wrong with me. And from that produces the achiever, the helper, and the individualist. Those, those personality types are born to compensate for the shame, to show the opposite of it. And we'll get to that next time on the Attracting Lasting Love podcast. So until then, have a great week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Attracting Lasting Love with Roy Biancalana. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review and share it with anyone you think might benefit from listening. Check out our website at coachingwithroy.com and tune in every week for more insights and wisdom on creating healthy, lasting, conscious relationships.